0: Welcome to church. We're so glad you're here. It's been so great to worship with you, and now it's great to be opening up the Bible with you and continuing in our series, looking at this ancient biography about the life of Jesus called the Gospel of Luke. In just a moment, we're going to enter back into that story, but before we begin, I just want to acknowledge that this is a challenging time, that we feel it too. And And I know that all of us, were carrying something in here today. And as a team at the church, we just want you to know we love you. And we're here for you. And Jesus loves you. And he's here for you. And that together, we want to come alongside you and, and help you. You don't have to do this alone. Uh, we want to come alongside and help carry this with you. Because we do love you. And so our hope as we come back into the Gospel of Luke is that today, no matter where you are, no matter what you carry in here, that you would encounter Jesus and be reminded of the awesome reality that Jesus changes everything. And that no matter how impossible it seems, He makes all things possible in your story when He arrives and when He shows up. And so the Gospel of Luke, if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it and turn to chapter one. We're gonna be camping out in verses 26 to 38 in our time together. And as you turn there, I, I was thinking about as I began to study for this story, this really incredible ministry moment that I got to be a part of a few years ago. I got the privilege to introduce uh, one of the uh, and, and introduce and and interview one of the Vancouver Canucks, um, and it was a special experience to talk about life and Jesus and hockey and and how we can live courageously uh, when Jesus is in our lives. And it was an amazing experience, and to sit across from someone who had uh playing the sport at the highest level had all the accolades and attention and money in the bank account and to hear him say jesus is better than all of it was by far one of my ministry highlights and was by far one of the best moments of that night but it was really interesting because before the the night actually began we as a team had gathered to pray and 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 the atmosphere was one of ease and relaxation and fun and people are talking and laughing together uh, as we waited for dan to arrive but it was really interesting the moment that dan arrived something strange happened like everything shifted his very presence altered the atmosphere in that space people became a little bit more reserved people stopped talking as much and laughing as much it just it something shifted in that atmosphere when dan showed up and i don't know if you've ever had that experience before but there's just some people that when they show up everything is impacted everything changes there's just something about them that that alters uh, everything around them for the good um, and and that, that dan was one of those people And today, Luke is going to put before us one of those people. He's going to bring into the story of his gospel the hero and his arrival and how this arrival of this hero is going to change everything, not just in this story, but for all time. And so Luke is going to invite us into the opening moments of this in verse 26, where he says this, In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And from start to finish, Luke is going to put before us and give us a front row seat the unparalleled life. Of Jesus, it's this amazing story that includes amazing miracles, uh, world-changing teaching, acts of unheard-of love and compassion, miraculous healings, a death on a cross, an empty tomb. It's a -a one-of-a-kind story that Luke is going to tell to us in the pages ahead. But before all that happens, there's this encounter that Luke shows us in the first verses here today. This is an encounter between a heavenly being called an angel and a young girl named Mary. And it's interesting because Luke is very clear and very intentional as we begin. He puts us in a real time and place in history. We're not in some ethereal existence here. Actually, Luke is is placing us in history, in time and space as we begin. He says in chapter 1, verse 5, that this story takes place during the days of King Herod, which is a real historical person, that there's documents and stories about him, and this story is taking place in his lifetime. And it says that it also takes place at a specific place, a village in the northern part of Israel called Nazareth. And so what we see is Luke is putting us in, and the Jesus story begins with time and space being pierced from something outside of it, with a spiritual reality breaking into the physical world and interacting with it. Now, for some of us, we see this and this fits into the way we see the world we believe there's a god and that he's alive and he's active in the world we created and so this fits into our worldview. it's not a stretch um this 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 makes sense but for others of us we've got some doubts when we hear this we have doubts there's something like a spiritual realm let alone that this spiritual realm would interact with this physical world and the people who live in it and so this might not fit easily into how we see the world. And you, know, and you know what? I get it. Like, I really do get it because for most of my life, I would have struggled with what is going on in this opening verses of, of the Jesus story. I would have had a hard time with something like this. But here's the thing about the Bible. See, the Bible puts before us a world where there is a God and that this God created the world. Everything that we know in the physical world, the Bible says there is a God behind it. And that this God stands both outside his creation, and yet he's alive and active within it at the same time. In fact, the Bible is going to say that in this physical world is actually evidence. It actually speaks to us about the existence of this God. And We see this uh, very clearly in a letter written by one of Jesus' first followers uh, named Paul. He writes to the church in Rome, and, and he says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In other words, what we see in the physical and creative world is actually evidence that there is an eternal and all powerful creator, and that through what he's made, this God, this creator, is actually calling out to us and saying, Here I am. And so even if we don't believe this, uh, on some level, we have this deep sense inside of us that there is something out there, that there is someone out there. We see it when we look at a sunrise or we look at the mountains when we're hiking, uh, when we hear the thunder and the lightning crash during a storm. No matter where we look, no matter what we experience in our life, there's this sense deep within us that we can't escape, that there's just something more. And it calls out to us. And that's what the Bible is is presenting, that there is a God. And that this God who created all things will at times pierce his own creation from outside it and begin to move within it, to move his project of redemption forward. And so Luke is inviting us into this world to see the world in this way, to believe that it's possible that a God who stands outside and behind creation would enter into it. And he's asking us to believe this right from the beginning of the Jesus story. And so that's where we start with heaven-piercing history. And then the angel speaks in verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so the announcement that the angel makes is that God is going to take this to a whole other level. That the God who lives outside time and space is actually going to enter into it and come and live within it as a human the eternal, all-powerful creator of heaven and earth is himself going to pierce history and become human. In Mary's womb, the divine and the human is going to unite in this baby. I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, just stop and think a little bit about what the angel has just said, that the divine and the human are gonna mingle and interact and be one in this baby. J.I. Packer, the uh, philosopher, professor, theologian, he writes about this moment and he says this, "'It is here in the thing that happened "'at the first Christmas that the profoundest "'and most unfathomable depths "'of the Christian revelation lie. "'The Word became flesh. "'God became man. "'The Divine Son became a Jew. "'The Almighty appeared on earth "'as a helpless human baby, "'unable to do more than lie and stare "'and wriggle and make noises.'" Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. So we are dealing with a great and a beautiful mystery wrapped in incredible hope here. Some way, somehow, God is going to become human and live within the world that he created. I mean, this is a a great mystery and we'll never plumb the depths of it. We'll never uh, reach full comprehension, understanding. But the most important thing to see here is that this message, this announcement brings incredible hope into Israel's world and into our world too. And here's why. See, if you trace the storyline of God's people, one of the the key plot lines and, and emphases was this promise that God had made. And the waiting for that promise to be fulfilled by his people. And so the backdrop for this story is this promise that God had spoken to Israel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this moment. It's seen in different places throughout the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that's before Jesus. We see that when God spoke through a prophet named Isaiah, that he spoke about a day when a virgin would have a baby called Emmanuel. God with us. Now, what we see in Mary's story is that this is the baby that God spoke about through Isaiah. Or this other time when God spoke again through the prophet Isaiah, and he said a light would come and shine into the darkness, and he said that this light would be a child. Now, the angel is before Mary, and he's saying, This is that baby. This is the baby that that will pierce the darkness with his light. This is the baby that Mary is going to carry. And not only that, but God spoke to a king named David about one of his ancestors being this royal king who would reign over a never-ending kingdom. Nathan the prophet would, would say this to David, that when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, you who shall come from your body, And I will establish his kingdom forever. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, the angel is saying, this baby will be that promised king. This baby will come and set up God's never-ending kingdom, and he will rule as its king. And so generation after generation had carried these promises, and nothing happened they'd live with this ache for God to to, to come through, to keep his promise. And so when Mary is hearing this announcement, it's hope coming into the story of God's people saying that everything that God has said he would do in the past is now going to come true in Jesus. The time has come, All all the promises are being fulfilled in Jesus. And while every single baby is important and is something to be cherished and, and adored, there's something about this baby that's, that's different, that sets him apart before he's even born. And we see this in how the uh, angel announces him, he describes this baby Jesus as someone with unrivaled greatness and universal significance. That Jesus will have a one of a kind greatness and power and in dignity and authority that nobody before or after will come close to him and his level of greatness. He stands alone with unrivaled greatness because of who he is. And the angel tells us who he is, he's God's son. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, is going to come in human form. He's going to walk on earth just like us in every way. He's going to have the human experience in full but without sin. This is a statement of the divinity of Jesus. And it's also a declaration that he's the long-awaited Messiah. He, that He's coming on a rescue mission to reconnect us to God and set up God's kingdom, his rule and reign on earth. And that once he's done that, once he's accomplished his mission, The angel says he's going to be crowned a king and he will reign over heaven and earth in a kingdom that will never end. This baby, Jesus, will have unrivaled greatness and he'll have universal significance that he is coming to bring salvation in all its fullness to all people, that anyone can get in on this, no matter who you are, and that he is going to welcome anyone into his kingdom as its king. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be welcomed into this. This is the baby that Mary is going to carry, a baby with unrivaled greatness and universal significance, whose arrival will alter history and eternity and leave this world forever changed. And so the ache of God's people is about to be answered in Jesus. God is going to come down so he can come through for us. It's a staggering, hope-filled moment. And the first person to hear it is Mary, a young girl, no more than 12 or 13, She's not married, who's never had sex, who's now faced with the reality that the baby she's being asked to carry and parent is the child promised in ancient prophecy. And all of this just lands at her feet. And now what does she do? Imagine what it would have been like for her. We have the benefit of hindsight, but Mary's living this in real time. And so you can understand her response in verse 34 when she says, how? How will this be since I'm a virgin? You know, I, I love Mary's response here. It's so real. It's so human. It's like, wait, what are you saying? How will this happen? I've never been with a man. This is a, a biological impossibility that you're claiming is going to happen with, with, within me. I don't get it. How? You know what? I'd be skeptical too. From a human perspective, this mess, message and the method seem impossible. It seems beyond the realm of what can happen. And so maybe like Mary, you're asking that same question. How? How can this possibly be? And the answer is that God will do it. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, has, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so this baby won't come naturally, but supernaturally. The power and the activity of God the Holy Spirit will fill Mary and surround Mary and bring this baby to life in her womb. That from start to finish, this is a complete and utter act of God. It's a divine act of God. There'll be no human agency involved in this story. God's power will do this. And the result will be a real human baby. Holy, without sin, and set apart for the task of saving the world and all who live in it the God who creates, the God who pierces his creation. This God is going to do the miraculous in Mary's womb. Biology won't stop him, science can't get in his way. For this God, nothing is impossible. He can do all things. And this is the God of the Bible that we see over and over, the Jesus that we're gonna see walk through the pages of the Gospel of Luke. If this God wants to create out of nothing, pierce the gap between heaven and earth, part the Red Sea, feed the 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, if he wants to turn water into wine, give sight to the blind, heal with a simple touch, bring the dead back to life, redeem any story, he can do it. And if he wants to put a baby in Mary's womb in a way that bypasses all normal means, he can do it because nothing is impossible for this God. His power and his ability is unlimited now i know this might be hard to believe i know it is for me sometimes to it stretches me it challenges me and so maybe you're like me who can i can believe this intellectually but i have a a harder time because deep down i wonder if this is really true if it's really possible for god to do something that's this amazing and for you maybe that comes your struggle comes with experience Maybe you've asked God to do something and he hasn't done it or he has not done it yet. And as you wait, you're starting to doubt if this is really true, if God really can do what he says he can do. And so maybe one of the barriers to this moment is your experience or maybe it's exposure. That we've heard this story so many times, it's it's become routine. It's not extraordinary to us anymore. The, the routine, the, the continued, he, continued hearing of this story has removed the wonder and what once ignited your heart barely affects it anymore. And so whatever that is for you, I would just say don't let your waiting for God to act cancel out His ability to do the impossible in your story and don't let your familiarity with this story remove the wonder of what God is doing and is going to do in Mary. And we're being invited into this story to to see the utter wonder of the reality that when God is involved, nothing is is impossible. That his ability to act is not canceled by our waiting. His ability is unrivaled. And so don't shrug this off. Don't, Don't shrug your shoulders and continue on. Press in. Let yourself see this moment for what it is, a moment of awe and wonder that brings us face to face with the God who makes all things possible. And if we can do that, then just like Mary, our posture and our activity in the waiting will begin to shift. You see, for Mary, her first response to what the angel spoke over her is skepticism. She has doubts. She wonders how this could ever happen, and you can't blame her for that. But then in verse 38, doubt shifts to trust. Look at what it says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and so incredibly mary gives god her yes faced with so many reasons why this can't happen mary says god i believe you can i'm here to serve you let everything that you said be true in my life it's an act of an incredible trust It's an act of faith in what God can do, not in the circumstances, not in what she can see, not in what she thinks is possible, but it's an act in what's possible, an act of trust in what's possible for God. And just so we don't over-spiritualize this moment, let's keep in mind that Mary's yes is not a simple yes. See, she's been asked to bear a child as a virgin without being married. So for 40 weeks, she's going to face questions and suspicions from people as they wonder what really happened. Right? I mean, people don't just get pregnant out of nowhere. And so you can imagine that people f- might have thought that she was hiding something or, or even covering something up with this outrageous story about God putting a baby in her belly. Right? So there's going to be questions that Mary's going to face, suspicions. It's also going to be shame. See, in this culture, uh, to, it would be a dishonor to her family. It would be a dishonor to uh, Joseph, who she's engaged to be married with. She would be an object of intense shame and she'd have to carry that around within her and experience it from without her for nine months. She can't run, she can't hide. The shame would be an everyday reality for Mary. But there's also gonna be pain that's gonna come with this, yes, because Mary's gonna experience physical pain from carrying a child and the pain of giving birth and then she's gonna have the pain of, of seeing her child grow up and carry out her mission and ultimately, his mission, ultimately die on the cross in a gruesome death. I mean, a little later on, we're gonna see that it's told her that her soul is gonna be pierced. She's gonna feel pain, shame. She's gonna have questions. And so Mary's yes has weight to it. There's a gravity to it. It opens her up to this beautiful journey, yet a hard road, both before and after Jesus arrives. And yet, she gives her yes away. Why, What? What? what possibly shifted for her in the space between verses 34 and 38, I think two things. One, she came face to face with a God who makes all things possible. She saw that God, she she was reminded or was being told about who that God was. And because of that, she became able to transfer her trust to God. She was able to say, I believe that you can do what you're saying you're going to do. So it's not flashy or fancy, but it's true. The difference maker in the space between was God and Mary's trust in what he could do. And for me, this is where this story intersects with our story. That today is the beginning of Advent. It's the it means anticipated arrival. It's this time of waiting with expectancy for the arrival of Jesus. And this lines up with this story. Because in this story, both Israel and Mary are anticipating the arrival of the one God has promised. Israel has been waiting for generations. Mary's going to have to wait for the baby's first kick, her belly to grow, 40 weeks to hold her baby in her arms for the first time. And then she's going to have to wait even longer for her son to grow up and accomplish the mission he came for. And so just like Israel, just like Mary, we're all waiting for something or someone too. We're waiting for that phone call, that diagnosis, the promise to be kept, the call back, coronavirus to be over, the pain to stop, the darkness to lift, the struggle to end, the person to come back, the promise to be kept, the money to arrive in our bank account, the day, we're waiting for the day when God will finally come through and does what he said he would do to us, do to us and for us and with us. See, we're all waiting for something or someone and because of that, we're living in a space between the place of waiting And hoping for God to come through. And if we're honest, the space between is not an easy space. It's hard to wait. So many times I've told God to hurry up, to do something, to end this waiting. Because I don't like to wait. My timetable is always faster than God's. Maybe yours is too. But I think that there's something that emerges out of this story and lands at our feet. And it goes like this. In the waiting, who or what will we put our trust in? Or put it another way. In the space between promise and fulfillment, can you trust God? See, if this story teaches us anything, it teaches us that the answer is yes. That we can trust God in the waiting. We can trust God in the space between. If you look at this story, everything that the angel announces, God makes happen. Jesus is conceived miraculously by the Spirit. He's born. He grows up. He lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross where he dies a death in our place for our sin and for our forgiveness. He's put in a tomb. He's raised back to life three days later, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father where he sits as king, ruling over God's kingdom and all of creation, that everything God said would happen in Jesus' life came to be just like the angel said it would. And so the question is, isn't really can we trust trust God, but will we trust God in the waiting? And there's so many reasons why we can't. The situation seems impossible. We don't have the full picture or all the steps laid out for us. The pain or the betrayal or the, the weight of life is unimaginable. It's hard to imagine that it could ever be different. Um, what if God doesn't come through this time? See, all these things press in and this story challenges us, and invites us, will you trust God in the space between? And it puts before us a God where the answer is yes, that he has the power and the willingness to come through for us in his way, his will, and his timing. And so when the unexpected and the unbelievable arrive on our doorstep, we can trust in the unrivaled ability of our God to come through because that's who he is. And so you might not be there today, but either way, I think we're being invited into two things coming out of this story. To adopt a new perspective and to embrace a new posture. See, this story gives us a way of seeing the world. Uh, It invites us to see all of life through the lens of what is possible with God, not what is possible for me. It asks us to shift our perspective from what we can see and what we can do to what God sees and what God can do in the situations we're in. And in doing that, we're being invited to embrace a new posture. A posture of trust and surrender and dependence on the God who makes things possible. A call to transfer our trust from ourselves and our ability to the unrivaled ability of Jesus to come through for us. That's where this story meets us and intersects our story today, is that we have a God of unrivaled ability who is willing to pierce into your story and make all things possible for you in the waiting. That's our hope for you, that you receive that and walk in it today. Let's pray. God, I worship you and I, I'm in awe of this story. I'm in awe that you are a God who not, didn't just create the world, but you are alive and active in it and that you did something miraculous in Jesus, in his conception, but, but more than that, in his life and his death and resurrection that impacts every single one of us and every single one of our lives and our stories. And so I pray for every person listening um, that they would see you, God, for who you are, that they would be swept up into the story of Jesus, that they would feel new hope arise within them, and they would be reminded that, Jesus, when you arrive in our story, you have unrivaled ability to do the impossible. So help us to trust you, God. Help us to walk in that and help us to hope again no matter what we carry in here today. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name that we pray, amen.